Hi, everybody. Welcome to the October 9th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. As ballots start to get mailed out today, let's look at two of the big candidate races in Colorado. Cory Gardner and John Hickenlooper faced off in their first two debates, one in Pueblo and one in Telemundo. And there's even be one in Denver tonight. Meanwhile, rifle Republican and former Colorado Speaker of the House, Russ George, endorsed Democrat Diane Mitch Bush in Congressional District 3 in that tight race she has with Republican Lowen Boebert. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Uh, goodness gracious, things are beginning to pop. It was a slow season, but October is giving us some action. Uh, headlines for Hickenlooper, Gardner, uh, anything else that regarding uh, the ballot right now? Your thoughts? Well, we're seeing the polling come in. There was a big poll last night between, I think, Colorado Politics and Nine News, right? And Hickenlooper looks very comfortable. He's at nine at least. He hasn't lost it despite the barrage of really negative ads coming against him. Not great um, performances and debates. So we'll see tonight. There's a debate at five. It'll be over by the time this show airs. But it is definitely his to lose at this point. I think he will He will win if he really wants to be in the Senate. Have fun. Uh, meanwhile, in Congress, I do not think he will be rubbing elbows with Lauren Boebert. Despite her very interesting national candidacy, there's been a lot of national attention. The more you know about her, the less you really want to see her, not just in Congress, but maybe even in Colorado. So I think Diane Mitch Bush will have a very good chance at it. We're also seeing, seeing polling numbers coming in on some of these ballot measures. And really, the big winner right now looks like Dennis Gallagher. No one knows how to vote on the potential repeal of his circa 1982 amendment, the Gallagher Amendment. Eric Soderman, political analyst and columnist with, with Colorado Politics. Uh, as I think Kyle Clark astutely put yesterday, a poll is not a predictor. A poll is a snapshot in time. Uh, but for Cory Gardner in Colorado, oof, what a snapshot. Uh, uh, does he take anything away from this? Where he, but, but are you telling me I have a chance? Where, where is he at right now? Polls are snapshot and snapshots in time, as you indicated, Dominic. But the time that we have the snapshot is the time that ballots are going out. So it's not some snapshot three, four, five months before the election. It's a fairly important snapshot, shall we say. I'm not surprised by either of these polling numbers. The one that shows uh, Biden ahead in the state by 10, uh, Hickenlooper ahead in the state by 9. It's right where I guess the numbers uh, would be. And I think what it really shows is that the notion of ticket splitting just doesn't exist anymore. I mean, per those polls, even if they're off by a point or two, Cory Gardner is maybe picking up a point at most of Biden voters who don't, don't follow through and vote for Hickenlooper on the next line. Cory Gardner and Donald Trump are joined at the hip. Cory Gardner is the one who did the joining. I mean, he volunteered for this duty many years ago, and he's paying the price for that. And that, that was probably doomed from the start of this election cycle. If Donald Trump was going to tank, and he was always likely to be in trouble in Colorado, even before the real tank, uh, Cory Gardner was going to pay the consequences quickly on the West Slope. I'm not as confident in that one as Patty is. I think that is still a coin flip kind of race. But even to the extent it's a coin flip race tells you what a rough year this is going to be for Republicans generally, because that is an overwhelmingly Republican district. I mean, Scott Tipton beat Mitch Bush by eight points last cycle. Donald Trump won the district by 12 points. Donald Trump even carried Pueblo County. To the extent it is a close race speaks to the Democratic wave that's coming. 
Krista Kafer joins us remotely. Krista Kafer, a Denver Post columnist. Thank you so much for being here, Krista. Uh, one of our good friends, Lynn Bartles, was talking about the importance of this Russ George endorsement. Uh, Russ George is not uh, a, a political leader here in the uh, city of Denver. He is a Republican in rifle. Uh, he's a Republican that was uh, seems to hold a lot of respect. Uh, what does that endorsement say to you, at least about the race that we see in CD3? Well, when I first heard his name, my thought was, who's that? And I'm guessing that all around the state of Colorado, that's the question people are asking. Who is this person and why does their opinion matter? So, I just, you know, endorsements, people get endorsements. Does that actually affect how people how people run a race or how people vote? And I don't think so in this case. Yeah, I know it's a toss up between Boebert and uh, Bush. If Bush wins, it's probably going to be a Betsy Markey kind of a tenure in office, two years and then out, and then the Republicans will raise another candidate up to the four, and that district will return to Republicans. So I, I do think Boebert probably will squeak it out, but if she doesn't, it's basically two years in the wilderness, and the GOP is back. And rounding out the panel, Marianne Goodland, uh, Chief Legislative Correspondent from Colorado Politics. Marianne, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Marianne, uh, we have debates, we have endorsements, we have uh, polling numbers, everything to choose from. You get to take your pick. What stands out to you this week? The Russ George endorsement really does stand out to me. And he might not be well known in Denver, but I guarantee you he is known very well on the Western Slope. He was Speaker of the House uh, in the 1999-2000 session, and my colleague Ernest Looning referred to him in the story he wrote about the George endorsement as being as close to political royalty on the Western Slope as you will ever get. Uh, since he was Speaker of the House, he has served as President of Colorado Northwestern Community College. He has been the Chair of both the Colorado Water Conservation Board and a related group called the Interbasin Compact Committee, both of them focused on implementing the state's water plan. These are, as a water leader, he is very, very well respected. So his endorsement, I think, will carry some weight for Diane Mitch Bush. But I think the other, the other thing that you're seeing with this endorsement is a decision by some within the traditional Republican elites on the Western Slope willing to take their lumps for the next two years by endorsing Diane Mitch Bush and voting for her as well, and then waiting to see who shows up in 2022 to run for that seat again from the GOP. Well, as we wrap up that election topic, I want to remind folks, the two things you need to get informed for the ballot uh, is probably this blue book, which itself is, reminds me of the old phone book days. Uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty hefty. But if that kind of reading is not your style, go to pbs12.org. We finished our uh, Colorado Decides series of debate issues all over the ballot. If you're thinking you want a little bit more on any of the big issues, we have you covered at pbs12.org. Let's get to our next topic. State Representative Patrick Neville announced on Friday that he he will not be seeking a leadership position after the November election, essentially stepping down as state House minority leader. Neville hopes that this announcement will allow Republicans to focus on winning seats in November. Uh, Eric, uh, this kind of feels like somebody quitting before they're fired. What do you think? 
It sort of sounds like somebody quitting before they're fired, to quote somebody I just heard, Dominic. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Uh, Patrick Neville has been on the ropes within his own Republican caucus. I mean, Marianne can talk more to this and will in a sec, even dating back to the last session. But particularly the primary elections in June saw a number of those Republican primaries won by the more moderate candidate as opposed to the more arch-conservative Rocky Mountain gun owner Tim Neville, Neville brother candidate. And so the votes just simply weren't there for him to retain this position. I think he opted to get out now instead of going through the embarrassment of being bounced out by his caucus when they meet and vote in November. Krista, this is a part of the uh, you know intra-party kind of uh, details that we don't often get a, a glimpse into. Usually it's Democrat versus Republican, and we just watch the dust fly. This is Republican versus Republican here, and uh, as Eric noted, uh, a lot of the uh, different candidates in the primaries that were backed by uh, 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 Neville did not do well, did not win those races. Uh, is this a smart move to announce in October? You know, Patrick's always been nice to me. He seems like a nice enough person, but it takes a certain amount of skill to be in the minority and to get things done. And so perhaps there's been a reassessment there. What makes me happy, though, is this might mark the end of influence by the Rocky Mountain gun owners. They are a pernicious force that has been in Colorado for some time, backing crazy candidates, uh, you know, going after really great candidates and great people in office. And if their pernicious influence comes to an end, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Let's let 2020 be the last year that they have anything to do with Colorado politics. Well, speaking of Colorado politics, Marianne, we go to you. You've been covering the story, one of the people that uh, helped break it on Friday morning. Uh, what do we need to know about what's going on? Well, boy, where to start on this one? Um, Representative Neville has been criticized by his caucus, and the criticism really took off after the 2018 election when he and his supporters raised about $1.2 million to help elect Republicans. And what happened is that they lost three seats. And not only did they lose three seats, but, they, but two of them were seats that had never in the state history ever been represented by Democrats before. And that was up in House District 25, in, which is a mountain evergreen conifer seat. And then in House District 37, where Tom Sullivan is now the Democratic representative. So the other thing is that um, Representative Neville and the committees that he and his brother were in charge of, um, they raised $1.2 million, but then they left $305,000 on the table after the election. And GOP leaders who talked to me about that said, you just don't do that. You spend every penny you've got to help elect people and there were some very close races that Republicans won that they may not win again in November. So, uh, was he was he fired before before you know, or was did he resign before he was fired? As as you have said, absolutely. And some of the folks I've talked to said that they've known for a month now that this was coming. It really was not that big of a surprise. Patty, we finally got our wish for uh, news that broke before we tape at noon. So, <laughs> so uh, Representative Neville, if you're out there, thank you for at least doing that, the right thing by announcing in the morning and not in the afternoon. That was very kind. Your thoughts? Except it is not a newsflash that the Republican Party in this state is in trouble. Where is the bench? The only good thing for the Republican Party about Cory Gardner losing the Senate race might be they've got a perfect candidate for governor two years from now because... 
the bench just isn't there. They've got, you know, the party leaders like Ken Buck have been divisive. Steve House has been divisive. So they've got a lot of issues if they're going to try to rebuild in a year when Democrats look like they're going to sweep much of the table here in Colorado. Well, even as Governor Polis warns about rising COVID-19 rates and the state hit its highest hospitalization rate since July, CU Boulder announced that it will resume in-person classes as Colorado State University was declared an official outbreak with 375 new cases. Andrew Womack Ministries went ahead with a 600-person attendee in-person conference this week, violating state orders, continuing the lawsuits going back and forth on that. Chris, if we go to you first in this one, no one wants to go back to lockdown orders because those aren't good. But I don't think anyone believes that the virus is over. Is there a middle ground that everyone can agree upon that we can all keep each other safe and still move forward? I think the key here is, is know your risk, assess your situation, use prudent, prudence, but, use, but, but live your life. And you know, opening up these schools so that the kids can be taught is in the best interest of professors. It's in the best interest of uh, the best interest of students. I teach at Regis University, and I can't tell you how painful Zoom classes are. You have a hard time connecting with students. They have a hard time connecting with you. It's a difficult situation. Students are really not at risk. If you think about that, sort of uh, the case fatality rate for this disease is about 2.8% which of course puts it higher than influenza, but far lower than MERS, SARS, Ebola. This is not the Stephen King novel kind of pestilence. This is a difficult disease, but we've got good therapeutics. We've got a vaccine on the way. We are in a good position to beat this. In the meanwhile, we need to continue life. We need to keep stores open. We need to keep schools open. I can certainly understand your point with, you know, uh, certainly students at a college. My only fear would be I don't want my uh, cousin who's at CU visiting my great uncle and my great aunt who are in their 80s. But I get your point. I understand where you're at that. Uh, Marianne, we go to you next. Um, Governor Polis is in a tough situation. He's the guy answering these questions every day with the, with the COVID uh, updates. Do you think he needs to step in, whether it's the state schools or any other orders, because of where the numbers are growing at this point? Well, you're seeing a lot of action by county public health departments on this. So does the governor need to step in? Perhaps not. You look at what happened this week in Mesa County, where the number of cases that they have are, are shooting up, and then a warning from Tri-County Health yesterday that the three counties under their uh, watch are also getting into dangerous territory. So I, I think you need to see where the county health departments come down on some of this. Uh, the other thing regarding the Womack Ministries, uh, they voluntarily dropped the lawsuit they filed against the state but last night, Attorney General Phil Weiser uh, sought a temporary restraining order to shut down the event that's going on today in uh, Woodland Park. And they the, the ministry has insisted that the cases of COVID that are showing up, they've got 63 from, from an event in July and one death, that the people who caught COVID caught it someplace else and they refused to do any contact tracing. So they have events scheduled uh, going on for, for months, and I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of fight develops between the state and Womack Ministries over or their, their continual refusal to limit the capacity of their events. 
Patty, we're not even to fall break, or if there were a fall break, we're not even there yet, and we're seeing that CU has gone back and forth when it comes to in online and in-person classes, and CSU not being able to avoid the same problem. Are we ready for a fall semester in person? Should Colorado be doing this? We could be ready for a fall semester in person if people went directly to their classes, behaved themselves, and then went to their dorms or their apartments. But that's not what we're seeing, and that's where the spread has come. And and Krista's right. I mean, people of that age are not at the most danger, but they can infect other people very easily, which is why we should get back to the issue of masks. If you've been to any local stores lately... The masks are coming off at a lot of supermarkets, at a lot of stores. Even though you're supposed to be wearing them, people aren't, and a lot of the stores aren't enforcing it. If you look at the Colorado Department of Public Health, they put out the outbreaks list every week. That's the one CSU just shot up on. CU is way over CSU on that one. We've seen King Supers is making a repeat appearance on it this week, and Womack Ministries back again. I think Weiser just wants to be sure they don't make a third comeback on that list. Eric, as we look at this, do you think we're going to see more lawsuits uh, again from people who say, I can bring in as many people I want to an event because of my First Amendment right, versus the whole idea of state health regulations? Well, I'm afraid, yes, we will see more lawsuits because that's the nature of a litigious society. The crazy thing, Dominic, is we have politicized an issue that shouldn't be politicized, but that is the, the nature of the times we live in where everything is political combat. Uh, Krista, my friend Krista made a great point about live your life. And yes, all of us should be out there living our life. Life is short enough as it is. But there's a second half of that sentence, which is live your life, but be considerate of others and follow the rules in the process. And that is equally important. My wife and I earlier this week went into a Verizon store in the small mountain town of Granby. And I don't think it's an official Verizon store, but it's an authorized Verizon dealer just on some routine business that would have taken 10 minutes. We walk in, three technicians behind the counter, not a one of the three wearing a mask. We took a look, obviously turned around, and walked out. But that is why this virus is so so explosive, is because we do not have the willpower to really stay with it. To schools, uh, we've talked about CU, we've talked about CSU. I want to focus locally on Denver Public Schools, on DPS. They have had this thing so backwards since the beginning. It would have made far more sense for the kids to be in school, in physical school in August and September and October, warm months when rates of transmission were reasonably low. No, DPS, that's when they had the kids out of school. Now there's still this notion that they're going to go back to school here in a few weeks. The notion that we're going to have school in the cold months of high transmission when we didn't do it when we should have done it is simply crazy. Denver airport officials floated the idea at a city council committee meeting this week that the security checkpoints may not move after all. The security checkpoints are indeed a major element of the terminal remodel, but funds are running out. Meanwhile, news was released that the airport is also paying its former CFO as a consultant at the tune of $20,000 a month. Uh, We go to you, Marianne, for a quick take on this one. It's not as if DIA needed any negative headlines, but these weren't exactly, I think, what officials were looking to do. Are we not even going to, what are we going to get for our money for this new airport? Well, you might get a security checkpoint for two of the airlines, United and Frontier, uh, upstairs, which has been floated. And the rest of it's kind of going to just operate as it has been for the last, uh, the last couple of decades. Um, the, the contract fascinates me with uh, Ms. Shanahan. 
there is a board called the Municipal Securities Rulemaking Board. It's part of the SEC. And they keep an eye on the ethics and issues like conflicts of interest. And they have a rule that says when a municipality enters into a contract, if there's a person who's moved from that municipality to the contractor, that is a potential conflict of interest. Now, the Denver Board of Ethics did sign off on this, so they're okay with it, but I'm not sure this is going to fly with uh, some federal uh, rulemaking folks. Uh, Patty, did the Denver airport just spend several tens, if not a couple hundred million dollars on a new mall? A new mall that will not even be successful. That's the irony with all this. We can't blame this on COVID and pandemic and not knowing what was going to happen with travel. The contract with Ferrovial, which was signed two years ago, stunk from the word go. So anyone involved in that should not be at the airport and probably should not be getting consulting fees from the airport. The whole justification for that project was for security and move it from the Great Hall, even though maybe the secret justification was get a lot of money from stores. No one's flying. No one's going to be buying. We are left with a big mess. Eric, is the only alternative right now you either deal with, we're going to only uh, basically give you a mall with a couple different security points that may or may not even be there, or to actually go back and get some more money for this thing? Well, maybe that's an alternative. I mean, that's always an alternative for government. It's not tax money here. It's airline money. But, I mean, Patty has this exactly right. Why are we here? Why are we at this point? The whole purpose of this was supposed to be a renovation, was supposed to be efficiency. We knew from the get-go, cynical minds sometimes are right in their cynicism, that this was principally about a shopping mall. Why do some of these people still have jobs, or in this case, a fat $20,000 a month consulting contract? And where is Michael Hancock in terms of taking control of this and speaking up and getting it right? Chris, we go to you to wrap it up for us. You know, I'd like to make $20,000 a month. So maybe I'll go back to an ex-employer and say, hey, I'd like to be part of this boondoggle at $20,000 a month. You know what this reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of the cluster that was the VA hospital. And uh, I think it should give people a little bit of skepticism. You really want to give your health care to these people? I know a lot of people work hard in government, but these kinds of uh, boondoggles really, uh, I think, drives home the point that the more we can get into the private sector, the better off we are. It's time for a very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. I mentioned him earlier, Steve House, the Republican candidate running against Jason Crow, just had an op-ed in the Denver Post about what a bed of roses the ICE facility district is in Aurora, despite the amount of COVID cases they have there. But even worse, in the first line of that op-ed, he referenced a victim of violence without contacting her, without getting her share of the facts. She has a letter in the Post today, and it's worth looking at. Eric. We had an attempted, thankfully only attempted, armed insurrection in the state of Michigan uh, this week. And the president, instead of trying to tamp this thing down, continues to ratchet it up by giving these people both tacit and implicit encouragement instead of speaking of the outrage that it is. Um, no words. Krista, we go to you next. So another gender reveal party gone wrong. In Jefferson County, they're finding litter from these stupid gender reveal parties. And, you know, one of them went bad in California and started a catastrophic fire. All I can say, you're expecting a baby. That's great. How about you just do like an email or a Facebook post? 
I never thought I would actually back up, you know, just give me a cigar. That's all I want. <laughs> Don't light it. Just give me a cigar and say congratulations. Marianne, uh, your disgrace of the week. The fly that spent two minutes and three seconds on Vice President Mike Pence's head during the Vice President debate uh, uh, the other night, uh, this got a whole lot more uh, attention in social media instead of the question that was being discussed, which was how uh, the Breonna Taylor uh, issue is being handled. Yeah, if you need anything to tell us about 2020 politics in America, that's all you need. Time to say something nice about somebody rather quickly. Patty. If you go to downtown Denver, Larimer Square, Civic Center Park, there's so many great events going on. It is not all decay. And I would say go to Civic Center McNichols building on Sunday where there's going to be a great art shrine to people we've lost. Great event. Also at History Colorado, another shrine. Eric. Happy birthday this week to Charlie Burrell. A Denver institution turned 100 years old on October 4th, the first African-American to be a part of a major orchestra in this nation, which was then the Denver Symphony, now the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, a jazz musician, a classical bassist. Uh, What a great life story. Here, here. Krista. My hat's off to the nursing home residents who staged their own protest against the lockdown that they're under. We haven't given a a thought to what it's like to be alone, to be isolated perhaps with a physical condition or dementia. Instead, we need to let people, even at advanced age, make some choices about what they want. As these folks said, perhaps it's better to die from COVID than to die of loneliness. Marianne, we go to you. Former House uh, Assistant Minority Leader Cole Wist, who this week announced he was joining the steering committee for Republicans and Independents for Biden. And in my conversation with him for Colorado Politics, the the two things that he wanted is to see a restoration of integrity and uh, to the White House and no more chaos. Uh, And the other other issue is that he would love to see less divisiveness in our political discourse, which I think we can all agree on. Well, I'm going to say something nice, but someone we see around here, two people. Um, Michael Fields, uh, congratulations on your new daughter, the birth of your new daughter this week, and the fact that when you posted on Twitter, Scott Wasserman, a guy that you battle with quite often on policy, liked it. Scott Wasserman and Michael Fields are a great example of two people who can disagree vehemently over politics, but actually agree over the good things about life, and that was a really cool example. That is indeed all the time we have this episode of Colorado Inside Out. Thank you so much for watching. Remember, go to pbs12.org to catch any of our past debates, and Both Sides of the Story starts next Friday. For everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.